Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message entitled, We Hold These Truths, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 5. If you're looking for a church home, a place to call your own, and a people to connect with, let me invite you to join us at Calvary. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or by calling 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Let's listen together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read from there in just a moment. On June 7th, 1776, fiery Congressman Richard Henry Lee of Virginia stood before the Philadelphia Congress and made a motion that, quote, these United States are and of right ought to be free and independent states. Those were revolutionary, rebellious words. Philadelphia Congress debated that motion for almost a month until July the 2nd, 1776, when Lee's resolution was passed and it became the formal declaration of independence by the American colonies. But something more was needed. An earth-shaking rupture of this kind, of a group of colonies pulling away from uh, their home country, the greatest and strongest empire in the world at that time. This kind of decision called for a formal explanation to a watching world who wanted to see what would happen. The task of drafting such an explanation fell to Thomas Jefferson, as you know, a tall, freckled, sandy-haired Virginia lawyer who was just 33 years of age. Just a child, it would seem, when you get to be the age of some of us. Despite his youth, he was already recognized as a brilliant writer, and he measured up to his opportunity. He retired to the Graft House, just a couple of blocks from Independence Hall, which were his quarters while in Philadelphia, and he drafted what we know as the Declaration of Independence. It begins with these words. You're familiar with them, maybe can even quote them. When in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impelled them to the separation. He continues, We hold these truths to be self-evident, 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, there were many other words to follow, but with these words and the words that followed, the course of human events were forever changed for our world. The 56 men who signed their names to this Declaration of Independence literally signed their death warrants should the cause of freedom fail. There was no turning back. Today, you and I enjoy the benefits of their unswerving devotion and loyalty. I believe that the greatest need for our country today, 246 years later, is not only to remember those words and to recommit ourselves to those words as a nation of people, but even more so to make such a commitment as God's people, as citizens of another kingdom. What we have as Christians is not a declaration of independence. God didn't create you and save you to be an independent agent, so to speak, in this world. But what we have is a declaration of dependence. It is the Word of God. It is upon the God who gave us this book. And so today what I want to do in uh, the time that we have left is to share with you, just as was written those 246 years later, the very principles of freedom and of liberty. I want us to be reminded that we are kingdom citizens and we have some principles. We have some non-negotiable truths as citizens of God's kingdom. And we hold these truths for we can do nothing else. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes to these Thessalonian believers and the editors who have given us our scriptures entitle this section of scripture, Stand Firm. And not only do we need to do that today as Americans, but even more so as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm, and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And we continue into chapter 3. 
Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God for it. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know today. I probably very seldom do. I'm a pretty simple person, pretty simple in my thinking in many ways. But I want to remind you of five non-negotiable truths for citizens of God's kingdom. There once was a time that in a church that called itself Christian, these five things could be assumed would always be held and held on to. But today, we are not so sure. We just want to be reminded in who we are as citizens of God's kingdom and what we believe. Five non-negotiable truths. We hold these truths. Number one, we hold to the truth of the priority of Scripture. The priority of God's Word. Paul, in these words that we just read, spoke of God choosing us, God choosing his people as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, and notice the phrase, four words, belief in the truth. Belief in the truth. Beloved, there is no substitute for God's word. God's word does not grow old. It does not grow tired. It is not to be updated. It does not need to be revised by sinful man to fit the times. God's word is timeless. God's word is true. Paul told Timothy, and he said, Timothy, remember that all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the person of God, that the child of God may be complete and equipped, made ready for every good work. Sometimes God's word teaches us, but sometimes God's word needs to reprove us and correct us to get us back on track. It is always there and effective and meaningful for training us in righteousness. There is no other book. There is no other document. There is nothing else among humanity that can do what the Word of God does. That was in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, 
knowing this first of all, that no prophecy, no scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Their personalities were allowed to enter into the writing. Their vocabulary was allowed to, be, uh, to enter into the writing. But God the Holy Spirit gave them the words to say and carried them along and prevented them from making error that this word is the word of God himself. Peter also said this a little bit later in chapter 1. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory, the best this flesh, the best that mankind can muster, is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls and fades away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. My friends, we must never negotiate. We must never compromise. We must never back up on the truth of God's Word. It is a priority and must be a priority in our lives. During the War for Independence, over 200 years ago, Congress resolved to import 20,000 volumes of the Bible. Why? Quote, because the use of the Bible is so universal and its importance is so great. Today we are living in a time when people would rather be told a pleasing lie than to believe and to hear the naked and bare truth from God's Word. Men and women would rather be told what they want to hear instead of what they must hear, the truth about sin, about self, about God, about eternity, the priority of Scripture. But we need to hold to a second non-negotiable. We hold these truths. We hold the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation. Notice in our text that Paul tells the Thessalonians that they were saved through sanctification by the Spirit, by belief in the truth. And he goes on to say, and it was through the gospel. And he called us through the gospel. If you are saved today, if you are truly a child of God, if you've truly been born again, it is because God the Holy Spirit called you through the preaching of the gospel. Now that may have come from your mama or your daddy sharing the gospel with you at prayer time when you were a small child. Or it may have come like for me in a revival meeting when I was nine years old in church and I heard the gospel and I wanted what it offered and I wanted to know that I was not going to go to hell, that I was going to go to heaven and I trusted Christ as my Savior. But there is no salvation apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of God's plan of salvation. 
And understand, before the gospel can really be good news, it has to first of all bring to us the bad news, right? Before there's the good news, we've got to have the bad news. Well, what is the bad news? It is that we are hopelessly and we are helplessly lost apart from Christ. It is that we are not basically good people that come into this world as good people that sometimes go bad because of temptation or because of evil influence. We come into this world as small babies crying out, speaking lies according to the Scripture. Now I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more precious than small children. There's no ministry in the church any better than taking care of the nursery. Especially when you got twin baby girls back there that are just crawling all over the place. But I'm going to tell you what, they're little liars. They're little sinners. They are. They really you say, how can you say that? Have you ever heard a baby cry when there was nothing wrong? When they cry and they say, well, we must, must need to change the diaper, but the diaper's fine. Well, maybe they're hungry, but they're not taking any food. They're crying, why? Because they want your attention, your undivided attention. They're completely self-centered. They're not thinking about you. They want everything that pleases them that they desire from you. That's part of growing up when you learn that the world doesn't revolve around you. And you know what? There's some grown-ups that need to grow up. Because they still think the world revolves around them. I'm kind of that way sometimes. So are some of you. But that's, you see, that's the sin nature. That is a sin nature. It's a sin nature that pushes against the boundaries. We come into this world. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it so clear in the first three verses. Listen to what it says. Paul says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the passions of the flesh, the desires of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In verse 12, he goes on to say, we had no hope and we, without, we were without God in the world. Having no hope without God in the world. People who are in their sins, who are lost, are presently lost. It's not a matter of waiting till you die and see what happens. If you don't know Christ, you're lost right now. You're separated from God right now. You are not only presently lost, you're perilously lost. Because at any moment, you might be called out of this life. At any moment, your heart may beat its last beat. And the next instant, you'd be in the presence of God, your judge. Perilously lost. If you die in your sins, you will be permanently lost. But you see, it is to all of that, in balance to it, that we have the good news. 
And that's why the gospel is good news, because we are helplessly, hopelessly lost in our sins. It's the way we come into this world. It's the way every human being comes into this world. And there is no escape. There is no relief except through the gospel. That same passage, Ephesians chapter 2, goes on to say this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Your faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace. Now, at the risk of some of you who have seen this and heard me say it and explain it countless times, saying, please, not again, I want to remind you of the, of the theology of the world. There are basically only two theologies. Did you know that? There are only two theologies in all of the world. There is, let's put it on the screen, Jason. There's the theology of do versus the theology of done. All the religions of the world believe in do. Only true Christianity believes in done. Two theologies, only two choices. The theology of do is based on the idea of merit, of merit, while done is built on the theology of grace, of grace. In other words, the theology of do, what must I do to be saved? And the whole world teaches some kind of merit, some kind of credit you can earn by working your way to heaven. Be a good person. Do good to others. Believe all of these things and, and memorize all of these catechisms or whatever. And even many so-called Christian faiths believe that you have to have some kind of merit, earn some kind of credit with God. But the Bible says, by grace you are saved. It's not what you do. It's what Christ has already done for you. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has done the work. Jesus has gone the distance. And so there's nothing left for you to do. Jesus didn't, didn't carry the ball 90 yards down the field and then hand it to you and say, okay, now you run the final 10 and you can be saved. It's not the way that it is. Jesus finished the work. That's why hanging on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. I've paid the price for mankind's sin. So instead of merit, something I do, there is grace. God's favor to you and me that is undeserved and unearned. Well, how do we access that? Let's go one more step. Merit is based on works. You do something to earn the credit. You perform certain works, join the church, get baptized, whatever. And that's how you earn your merit. That's what you do to get to heaven. 
But instead, it is faith. It is by grace through faith. It is to believe and surrender yourself to. It is to embrace the gospel, to believe. And in believing, you repent of your sins. You turn away as God gives you strength to do that. It's all of Him. So my friend, which one of these two theologies are you basing your eternity on today? The plan of salvation is the theology of done by grace through faith. And I want to tell you, only a tiny percentage of the human race will hold to that and believe that and will experience heaven because of it. The vast majority is all on its way. And what makes the difference is the cross, is the cross of Christ. It's what separates these two systems of belief. Jesus died on a cross providing salvation, offering grace, <clears throat> paving the way, <clears throat> while all around him there were religious leaders saying, believe this, follow this teaching, do this other work, and somehow earn your way to God. Jesus and the cross is the only way. True believers are God-called. They are blood-washed in the blood of Christ. They are spirit-sealed. They are Bible-taught. They are God-kept. The plan of salvation. That's a non-negotiable, folks. We can't compromise on that. Only, only through the blood of Christ can lost sinners get saved. Number three, the priesthood of the saints. The priesthood of the saints. What in the world is that about? Verse 13 and 14 talks about God chose you through sanctification by the Spirit. To this He called you and He separated you to something. God didn't just save you to give you pie in the sky when I die, hopes for heaven. God saved you to something. He saved you into something, into his body, into his bride, to participate in a local church and to serve as a kingdom of priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we have these words, as you come to him as living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now listen, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not even a people, but now you have received mercy and you have become God's people. God's people, a kingdom of priests. You don't have to go to a priest to get to God. You don't have to come to me for God to hear of your need. You are a priest if you're a child of God. You are a priestess in the kingdom of God. 
God hears from you. We do make intercession, but not necessarily because you've got to go to a religious person or a, a, uh, a priest or a preacher or a pastor, but because we stand between lost people and God and we plead for their souls. We are here to make intercession and to offer sacrifices, not sacrifices of bulls and of goats, that kind of sacrifice, but to sacrifice ourselves, to give up of ourselves in order that others may hear the gospel and know the truth. We hold these truths, the priority of Scripture, the plan of salvation, the priesthood of the saints, and fourth, the principle, the principle of separation of separation. Verse 15 says we should stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught. We are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world, right? We have to live in this world. We don't separate to live in our little huddles or our cults or our colonies somewhere. We live in this world. We work in this world. We go to school in this world. We shop in this world. We live in the neighborhoods of this world, but we live separated lives. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law he meditates day and night. The saved person is a different person. Paul told the Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Did you know that the Puritans who first came to this country, whose theology and then later whose philosophy were the very ground that the seeds of, uh, of, the, um, of the United States of America rising out of. Did you know that the Puritans who first settled this country in New England believed that their responsibility was to establish a Christian nation? They referred to it as a city set on a hill. They were called, do you remember? At that day and time, they weren't called Baptists. You know what they were called? They were called separatists. 
our Baptist churches have grown out of the separatist movement in England. These Puritans, these separatists, they saw the corruption in the Church of England and also the Church of Rome, and they pulled away from all of that, and they came to this country to establish a truly Christian nation, to be like a city set on a hill that will share its light and its testimony to all who are around. And they were known as separatists. And over time, those separatists, they migrated from New England down into uh, the Carolinas. And there, for the first time, they took the name Baptist and began to be known as Baptist as we know them today. Separate, not seeking to live apart from the world, but seeking to live differently from the world. Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman, who was traveling through this, these colonies at the time of the revolution and the time of the birth of this nation, made this statement. America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Beloved, I think... I don't want to offend anybody here, but I think in many ways our days of greatness have long since been passed by. Anytime, even though one aspect of, of the constitutional right to abortion has been taken away, for 49 years we lived under that, and it's not gone away. It will still be here, but at least it will be for individual states to decide for themselves. But understand, any time a nation sheds innocent blood, that nation will lose God's favor and God's blessing. And any time a nation will embrace deviancy and perversion, and I want to say just one thing, in regards to sexual purity and what is perversion and what is not. The only, the only pure expression of sexual relations is between one man with one woman married for life. That is what God honors. One man, one woman married to each other. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex is all perversion, immorality, and sin that will have to be answered for. And when our country embraces it, we cease to be great in the sense that we want to be known as people who are holy and good people. Let me give you one more point. We hold these truths more than anything else. We have to hold to the preeminence of the Savior. The preeminence of the Savior. I want to read again verses 3 through 5 of chapter 3. 
Paul says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Did you get in those three sentences the absolute obsession that the Apostle Paul has with Christ and the name of Christ? Six times in these three verses and 15 times in our text today, Paul refers to the Lord. He was a one-issue man. The thing that was important to Paul was Christ and Christ alone. In his life and experience, everything he focused on was centered around the Lordship of Christ in his life. Listen to these words that he wrote to the Colossian church. Speaking of Jesus, and again, listen to how many times he refers to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Christ, in Christ, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ around me, Christ within me. That's how Paul spoke. That's how he thought. If you were to go to Washington, D.C. today, maybe you've done that. Maybe you have climbed those steps up the Washington Monument, the tallest edifice of any kind in that city. You'll find on your way up those steps numerous Bible verses. Did you know that? You'll be walking along, climbing the steps, and you'll come across the words like, search the scriptures. Holiness is the Lord. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And on and on you find these Bible verses. But engraved on the metal cap, at the very top, at the very point of that monument, you would have to somehow get on the outside and look down in order to read it you will find these four words. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The New England Confederation says this, we all came into these parts of America with one 
and the same end and aim. Namely, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity with peace. No other nation over her 240 some odd years of existence has been so faithful to preach the gospel, to send out missionaries, to send out the message of Christ in a thousand different ways, in print and in broadcast and in personal witness. All over the world, the gospel has been spread because of this country. And we need to recommit ourselves to that today. On April the 6th of 1775, the British commander in Boston sent a detachment of soldiers, the elite, the world's finest soldiers, to Lexington and Concord. Their mission was to seize the stores of gunpowder belonging to the rebels and to capture their two ringleaders, Samuel Adams and John Hancock. Colonial Minutemen did not disperse fast enough and firing broke out on Lexington Green, which was actually the church yard there in Lexington. Eight Americans were killed and several more wounded. The British then pushed on to Concord and were beaten back to Boston. The action has been immortalized by Ralph Waldo Emerson in his poem entitled Concord Hymn, one portion of which reads this way, By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here once the embattled farmer stood and fired a shot heard round the world. Even more important, we need to recommit ourselves to fire the shot of the gospel. Not to mankind's harm, but to mankind's salvation. And we need to be sure that it's heard around Fayetteville, around Farmington, around Springdale, even around Goshen. If you can hear me out there, Justin. To be sure that every person in the area of our witness has a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but into all the world. For to that we've been commissioned. We hold these truths. The priority of Scripture. The plan of salvation. The priesthood of all saints. the principle of separation, but most of all, the preeminence of our Savior. That's who we are as the people, as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. First of all today, thank you for salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself, of showing us our sin, 
showing us the Savior. Thank you for making us your children. Father, we also thank you today that we've been born and live in such a wonderful country that we've received an inheritance of freedom and liberty. And Father, today we pray for our country because in many ways it has forgotten its roots. It's forgotten who she is. And instead, like your children in the Old Testament, have embraced the gods of the people around us. The gods of immorality, the gods of pleasure, the gods of seeking what makes us happy rather than seeking to please you. Father, thank you for recent decisions by our Supreme Court. Give them and our nation's leaders courage to do the right thing. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful witnesses to your truth and that as strangers and pilgrims in this world, that we will live in such a way as to point men, women, boys, and girls towards your Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.